In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight, we will have some reflection on Psalm 7 from the Psalms of our teacher, David the Prophet. So, let me start by giving introduction to this Psalm. This Psalm, according to the title, is composed by David the Prophet. There is a title for each Psalm. The title reads as follows, Shigayon of David, which he sang unto the Lord, concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. So, this title actually has some words we don't understand. Like, for example, Shigayon, what does this mean? And who is Cush the Benjamite? So, let me start by explaining the word Shigayon. Some think that the word Shigayon comes from Shagah, which means to wonder or a wandering song. Because David composed this psalm while he's wandering, hiding from King Saul. When King Saul was chasing David to kill him, so he was wandering, fleeing from King Saul. So some people say the word Shagayan means he is uh, fleeing. Wandering. Some scholars say, by the way, in Arabic, Ashagawiya. Some scholars believe that there is similarity with the Assyrian term Lego, which means lament. Even in Arabic, Shigun, Shigun, Yani, Huzn. So some people, and you know the Hebrew and Arabic is very similar because both are Semitic language. So some people means the word Shigayan means lamentation. He's lamenting his situation, his condition. He's chased by King Saul to king to kill him. Other believes that the word Shigayan means a loud cry, a loud cry. Uh, the New King James Version translates the Hebrew word Shagayan as meditation. So according, uh, the New King James did not use the word Shagayan, but used the word meditation. And we can see this word another time in Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets, chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, it starts... Uh, the book, uh, chapter 3 in Habakkuk by Shagayan by Habakkuk. Uh, then the second question, who is Kush the Benjamite? Who is he? Actually, he is a known person in Jewish history and was not mentioned in the Old Testament. But the scholars, some of them said uh, Kush the Benjamite is King Saul. That is the person intended. And you know King Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. 
And it has been supposed that the name Kush is given to him as a rebuke and to denote the blackness of his character and heart. You know, the word Kush means Ethiopia or black man. Uh, until now, it's called the land of Kush. Al-Habasha, Ethiopia, Bisamoha Ard, Kush. Because their grandfather, his name is Kush. But it is not certain that this term Kush in the time of David meant one of black complexion. Maybe now it means this, but back then it didn't mean them. Nor is there any probability that it would be used as a term of rebuke at all. So this interpretation is not accepted. St. Athanasius and St. Basil the Great said Kush points to Hushai. When Absalom, the son of David, turned against his father David, he took the counsel of Ahithophel, the one who mentioned in the Litany of Assemblies. You just heard his name right now. When we say God dispersed their counsel, as you dispersed the counsel of Ahithophel. Let me give you a quick to remind you with this story. Absalom, the son of David, want to take the kingdom from his father. So he went to a very wise council. His name is Ahithophel. And if Absalom followed the counsel of Ahithophel, he would actually take he would take the, the kingdom from his father David. But one of the supporters of David, his name is Hushai. Hushai. So Hushai pretended to support Absalom and convinced him not to use the counsel of Ahithophel. And he gave him another advice, another counsel. And then he told David about this council. That's why Absalom could not take the kingdom from his father, David. So St. Basil and St. Athanasius said, Cush points Hushai, who discouraged Absalom, the son of David, from following the counsel of Ahithophel. Hushai why he was called the son of Benjamin? He was not Benjamite. Why he was called son of Benjamin or Benjamite? Because he pretended to be Absalom's friend, to convince him to refrain from opposing his father. That's why he called him the Benjamite. But Hushai, as I told you, was a source of support to David, standing by his side and working on his behalf. Kush or Hushai defeated the council of Achitof, the advisor of Epsilon, and told David about the new council, sent word to David. Then David chanted this song to praise uh, Hushai, but he gave him like a nickname in order not to expose him to be killed. So give him a, a, nick, a nickname, Hoshai 
the Benjamin. You can read the whole story in 2 Kings from chapter 15 to chapter 17. Others said no. Cush the Benjamite is someone from the tribe of Benjamin. We don't know anything about him. He was a follower of King Saul and an enemy of David. Regardless of what he meant by the word Cush, but we as Coptic Orthodox Church, we follow St. Asanisius and St. Bezo, early church fathers. This son is of a great value to the church and to the world and to the believers. Why? Because very, very few people who are not on some occasion bitterly rebuked. Most of us, we face rebuke and difficult time. And also, most of us like to express our feeling in a similar way, like Psalm 11, Psalm 7, as we will read. St. Jerome sees that this psalm refers also to the time when Absalom rebelled against his father David. So St. Jerome, who is Latin, uh, agrees with St. Athanasius and St. Basil. So we have St. Athanasius from uh, Egypt, St. Basil Byzantine, St. Jerome Latin. The three of them actually agree that Kush uh, refers to Hushai. The psalm contains both David's cry of anguish and shout of confidence in God's deliverance. So he is crying of anguish, but also he has strong confidence that God will deliver him. Let me read the whole psalm first, and then we will take it verse by verse. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end but establish it just. For the righteous, God tests their hearts and minds. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. 
if he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked bring forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives the trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come upon shall come down on his own crown. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. So we can actually the outline of the sun we can divide it into seven sections. Verse one and two a confidence-filled prayer. 3 to 5, David affirms his innocence. 6 to 7, a cry to God to arise to judgment. 8 to 10, David's defense. 11 to 13, God the just judge. 14 to 16, the end of the wickedness. 17, David exalts the mercy and loving kindness of God. So let's start by first two verses. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. So this psalm starts with an expression of a strong confidence in God. He said, O Lord my God, this is the first time or first instance in the book of Psalms where David addresses the Almighty by united names of Jehovah and my God. O Lord in Hebrew is Jehovah, Jehovah my God. So that's the first time to combine these two words, Jehovah with my God. And David, when he said, my God, he meant mine by a special covenant. I have a covenant with God. So God is my personal God. And the words of verse 1 are expressive of strongest confidence the soul can have in God the Lord. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me can see the confidence in you I put my trust. Sometimes God's strength is evident in helping us through a trial. Other time the strength of God is evident in delivering us from trial. That's why he says here save me and deliver me. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. David trusted that God wanted to deliver him, not only to support him during the time of the, of the trial, but to deliver him from the time of the trial. Sometimes God will not remove the trial, but he will support us during the trial. 
other times he deliver us. David in this situation has trust that God will not only support him and comfort him during the trial, but he will deliver him. And I like how David in his troubles fled to God as refuge. He felt safe under his protection. That's why he told him, deliver me. Deliver me from the counsels which they have planned, from the traps they have laid in my way. Save me from those who persecuted me. By the way, persecution is not a new thing for the people of God. David had his persecutors, many of them, King Saul, his son Absalom, many. And the believers in the time of the apostles, also they had their persecutors. And in all ages, since Christ until now, we have our own persecutors as Christian people who persecute us because we are Christian. Everyone that lives godly in Jesus Christ must expect persecution in one shape or another. Today, if you are going to say, I am against homosexuality because it is a sin according to the Bible, if you say I'm against abortion, if you say I'm against transgenderism, you will be persecuted just because you are clinging to the truth. And David said in verse 2, Lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. No one is able to deliver me except you. There is none can save and deliver me from my persecutor except you, O God. And God will deliver us in his own time, as St. Paul explained in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he said it beautifully. He said, God delivered us in the past. He does deliver us in the present, and he will deliver us in the future. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. So David was aware of this, that God will deliver him. And therefore, he is making his claim to God and to God only. He did not make a claim to a human support to his friend, neighbors, princes, powers, because David believed there would be grave consequences if he were not delivered from these persecutors, and no one can deliver him except God. And he likened his persecutors like lion, like lion, denoting the complete destruction which he feared would come upon him if God did not deliver him, like a lion rendering his prey into pieces. The psalmist compared his enemy to a lion for his majesty and greatness. The lion being the king among beasts and for his authority, power, and might, for his wrath and cruelty, which David feared, which he said, my enemy would tear my soul in pieces, rendering me in pieces. So the image that David is painting, a lonely man 
non to deliver me was captured by a powerful line and no one at hand to rescue him so he's crying to God so David felt that if God did not interfere he would fall into the hands of his brutal and wrathful enemy uh, and Saint Peter in first Peter chapter 5 verse 8 he said your adversary the devil walks like walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour I want you to notice in verse 1 he was speaking in plural from all those who persecute me but in verse 2 he turned into singular like a lion he did not say lions so the psalmist said in a plural number save me from all those who persecute me afterward introduced a singular like a lion so who is this lion it's not his enemies it is satan who is moving them he knew what enemy and violent adversary of the perfect soul remained who is behind all these enemies it is satan while there is none to deliver me nor to save me for if god does not redeem nor save then satan will tear verse 3 oh lord my god again he repeated the same words like verse 1 if i have done this if i have done evil or they accuse me falsely if i have committed what they are accusing me falsely and if there is iniquity in my hands if i have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me those who are dealing with me peacefully if i have repaid them with evil or have plundered my enemy without cause if i have done any of these things let the enemy pursue me then it will be just and fair and right that the enemy pursue me and overtake me yes let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust sila sila actually is a musical pause a musical pause between because all these songs were chanted so here david david actually why david is confident that god will deliver him from his enemies that's actually what these verses from 3 to 5 answer because he's innocent he didn't do anything wrong but saint augustine is saying that it might be clear that the already perfect soul which is to be on her guard against the most insidious snares of the devil one so he said oh lord my god if i have done that this so to be clear for everyone that he is innocent that's why he said to god if i have done this and this and this and this then let them pursue me let them kill me that is a fair judgment but i want to explain that david did not claim sinless perfection or that he lived without sin no one is without sin even if his life on earth be a single day 
but he is speaking about the accusation that his enemies are making against him. So his sense here is that there is no iniquity, not in my heart, not in my purpose, not in my hand, not attempted by me, of the kind he was accused of. So this accusation against me are false accusations. He is innocent of the crime of which he was charged. He did not return evil with evil. So David is saying, if I have done any of those things, then he is openly confessing that he would be worthy of the kind of fate from which he was asking God to deliver. And this high sense of responsibility and accountability. Both David and God know the truth that David did not sin against his enemies, against King Saul or against Absalom, his son. In other words, David is admitting that if he is guilty of the sin that he is being charged with, he would be worthy of death. But he is innocent. And he needs God to defend him. St. Augustine stressed that David was speaking about Satan. Enemy is Satan. St. Augustine says, by again naming the enemy in the singular number, not enemies, but enemy, he more and more clearly points out him whom he spoke of above as lion, Satan. For Satan persecutes the soul, and if he has deceived the soul, will take it. But we as human beings, for the limit of men's rage is the destruction of the body. Any human enemy can destroy my body only, but he he cannot take my soul. But the soul, after this visible death, the human being, cannot keep in their power. Whereas, whatever souls the devil shall have taken by his persecution, after they die, he will keep them in Hades with him. He said, David, lay my honor in dust, means be humiliated, trampled on. So David is saying, if I have done any of these things, let me be an easy target for my enemies. If David had not had complete confidence in himself that he is innocent, he would not have raised these petitions. He is praying against himself here if he committed any of these sins. Verse 6. Now, after he declared his innocence, he is saying, Arise, O Lord! In your anger, many people nowadays deny that there is anger in God. They speak only about the love of God. But here the verses, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. You have commanded. So the congregation of the peoples shall surround you for their sakes therefore 
return on high. So David is saying, because of the falsehood that the enemy is spreading about me, David is asking God to arise. Lift yourself up, rise. He repeated three times in different ways. Even though we know that God does not sleep, in times of stress, we think that evil has the upper hand. And we consequently cry to the Lord in the same words of the Psalms. Where are you, God? Rise, lift up yourself. Rise, arise. So the Psalmist prayers reveal his great need to God as well as his inability to save himself. I'm asking you to rise to save me. He pleads God to rise and resolve the situation he is facing. And a Christian should always be above any malice and leave it to the Lord. Don't repay evil with evil, but cry to God and God will deliver you as he did with David. It is God who arises to judge men and the whole world with righteousness. David is asking God to arise and sit on the throne of his judgment on David's behalf. When God delays in judging the people, it's not because he is not a just and a fair God, but God's silence reveals his long-suffering. He is giving us time to repent. But if the wicked misinterpret the silence of God and trade upon his sins, the sins of God, then the Lord surely will arise and bring them to judgment. David said, Arise in your anger. Holiness and justice of God can only be manifested as anger in their judicial relation to sin and wrong. God is very angry against sin and against what's wrong. So David calls the anger of God against the devil and all his works. He told him, rise up for me on my behalf to the judgment you have commanded. You, have commanded. you God, commanded us to judge the evil. So you need to rise for the judgment you have commanded. So God had in his law commanded that justice should be done. And God proclaimed himself as a God of justice requiring that right should be done on the earth. And God declared himself in all cases as the friend of the right. So David now appeals to God and calls on him to manifest himself as a friend of justice and to show in this case, in this situation, the same principles, the same regard to justice which he required in us to be fair and just. It is an earnest petition that he would maintain and defend his own commandments. If you commanded us to be just and fair, now it is time for you, God, to maintain and defend your commandment. Then he said, let all the people, 
So the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. So David is picturing a gathering of all people. They are surrounding God's judgment throne. God is pictured here as a king, a high, glorious, exalted king. And his subjects are two, those who are loyal and those who are traitors. And the people are waiting for God to return and judge them. Another interpretation about congregation here, it meant the nation of Israel, the 12th tribe called an assembly of people and a company of nations. So the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. So means Israel, and Israel will call all the people to surround the throne of God. And to be understood, not in a hostile manner, but of their surrounding the altar of God with song of deliverance upon David's victory on his enemies. So Israel, after David defeated his enemies, so all the tribes of Israel surrounded the altar of God to praise the Lord that he had delivered David from his enemies. Or also it could mean that David prays that he might be established in his kingdom as God had appointed David to be the king of Israel and commanded that David would reign after Saul. Uh, When David would bring back the ark of God, this represented the throne of God, and encourage the worship of God and correct all disorders in it. So David brings those believers who have sided with him to the attention of the Lord. So this congregation of people, he, he meant the people of Israel who is gathering them after he brought the ark back and, and, and made these people to worship the Lord. As if he is saying, Lord, I am not the only one who is waiting to hear your judgment. So we see here a pleading that the entire congregation will suffer until the Lord intervenes. As if he is saying, all Israel will suffer until you intervene and you put an end to this. David's prayer for protection and justification was not fundamentally selfish. Don't say David is selfish here. No. He knew that his faith was vitally connected with the welfare of of God's people. If Absalom became the king, the people of Israel would suffer. So he he doesn't want to be a king or, or to be restored to his kingdom as a selfish ambition. No, he cares about his congregation. So it was in large measure for their sakes the sake of the congregation. That's why he said here, um, for their sakes, therefore return on high. For their sakes, not for my sake. In these two verses, we can also see that the psalmist points to the Lord's crucifixion when he said, 
lift up yourself and to so lift up yourself that's crucifixion uh, rise up that's resurrection return on high that's ascension so we can see the three events here when he told him lift up yourself lift up yourself on the cross rise up that's resurrection return on high that is ascension Saint Jerome, in his comment on the words, Rise up, O Lord my God, he said, Our Lord is glorified through his resurrection. Verse 8, The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity within me. So, David here is making a defense before God. He is expressing here his confident belief that God would intervene. He is saying this as a statement. His judgment would not be delayed much longer. So the proposition here is a general one. That God would see that justice would be done to all people. And on this base, David pleads that he would now intervene and defend him from his enemies. So he's saying, God, I know for a fact you will judge the people. So please judge me now according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. So as if he is saying, the Lord judge his people, there is no question about it. This is, it is going to be happen, to happen. So, judge me according to my righteousness. Who will fear the judgment of God? The wicked. But to the innocent, to the righteous man, God's judgment is not a fearful thing. Because God, when he judges, the innocent will be found blameless. That's why David say, judge me, O Lord. I'm not afraid. Judge me, I'm not afraid. David honestly invites God's judgment and correction. David, the prophet who pleads God to vindicate him in this psalm, pleads in another psalm that God does not judge him, for no one can be righteous before God. So how can we reconcile these two psalms? Here he is saying, God judge me according to my righteousness. In another psalm he said, God do not judge me, no one is righteous before you. So how can we reconcile these two psalms? Here actually, he is praying for justice on earthly level. In this situation, regarding the false accusation that his enemies are making against him right now. So justice between him and his false accuser, because he did not sin against false accuser. But in general, We know David committed adultery and killed. So, in general, when he speaks about the heavenly judgment or the judgment on the last day, he is saying, no one is righteous before you according to your mercy, O Lord, and according to our, not according to our sins. God's judgment does not end uh, so well for the wicked. The wicked will suffer from God's judgment. St. Jerome commented when David said, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity. Is this arrogance from David? So St. Jerome actually 
said, David could not have meant these words about himself. This word probably, pro- properly, indicate the unblemished Savior who has never sinned. So as a prophet about Jesus, a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Truly, they are the words of the risen and ascended Christ. Then in verse 9 he said, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. He did not say destroy the wicked, but what he is praying for, that the wickedness will end, but establish the just for the righteous. God tests the hearts and minds. For the righteous, God tests the hearts and minds. So, uh, David asked God to destroy the wickedness of the sinners and to establish the righteous. Scholar Origen noted that David prays to God to destroy evil. Why? So that the sinner or the wicked may be liberated from the evil one and become righteous and repent and become righteous. In other words, David does not pray for the destruction of the wicked, but for the destruction of the evil within them to an end so they may repent. But establish the just, meaning here himself, but also it can refer to any other person who is made righteous. Made righteous not by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ. When we are baptized, we put on the righteousness of Christ. And he said, no one can judge except you, because you are the only one who tests the hearts and mind. The righteous God tests the hearts and mind. So no one can judge except you. God alone knows people's internal thoughts and even our motives. Verse 10, my defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. Uh, So God is my protector in my troubles. I entrust him. The original word, not my defense, but the original word is my shield. Actually, in Arabic, torsi, shield, not my defense, which defy. God, David is saying, God is my shield, my protector, and my defender. God saves the upright in heart. He he will save me from uh, save me whom he knows to be sincere. God knows that I'm sincere and upright in my conduct toward him and toward others. Believers should not fear all that their enemies can do or say against them because we are protected by God. We don't fear our enemies. God is our protection. God does not judge but by what we say or from an appearance from outside, but God judges the hearts of men because he knows our heart and our minds. David knew he was at a significant disadvantage before his enemies. The only way for him to rely on his defense, that is, of God. Then he said in verse 11, 
God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry with the wicked every day. If he, I want you to notice, he here is small, not capital. So if he, if the sinner does not turn back, if the sinner does not repent, he, capital God, will sharpen his sword. God bends his bow and makes it ready. So he's saying God is just judge, just judge, angry with the wicked every day for their wickedness. But if the wicked turn back, God will forgive him. If the wicked did not turn back, then God will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. God also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. God is a just judge. Many anticipate that they will one day stand before a God of great love, great mercy, great warmth, great generosity. Unfortunately, many new theologians right now, they don't speak about punishment of God, anger of God. They say God is only love. That is not biblical. That's not biblical. And here the psalm is very clear. They never imagine they will stand before a God who is perfectly just and who cannot ignore the crime of sin. Yes, some sins are worse than others and will receive a greater condemnation, as we read in Matthew 23, verse 14. But there are no small sins against a great God. Any sin is, is great against the great God. The psalmist who asked God to vindicate him according to his innocence knows that he himself, together with his enemies, are in need of the long-suffering of God. That's why he said, if he did not turn back, if the wicked, if the sinner did not turn back. If God puts into effect or enforces punishment every day, nobody will be saved. If God every day is punishing us for our sins, no one can stand him. But he is patient and suffering so we can repent. St. Augustine said, He does not collect his ministers for vengeance every day. For now the patience of God invites us to repentance. But in the last time, in his second coming, when men through their hardness and impenitent heart, shall have treasured up for themselves anger in the day of anger, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, then he will brandish his sword. So now it's time of repentance. In his second uh, second coming, there is no mercy for those who are not merciful. So David, in verse 12, considered the readiness of God to judge the sinner. David saw that God sharpened his sword and bent his bow. God is so ready to judge. The sinner should never presume that God will delay his judgment. If God delays judgment, it's out of mercy. But many people make a dangerous mistake and think 
This mercy means that God is not concerned with justice. If they would repent and turn back, they would avoid this judgment and would be saved. This doctrine is everywhere stated in the scripture. So the real reason for any apparent delay in God's judgment is found in this word, if he does not turn back. So the delay to give us opportunity to repent. In his great mercy, God waits for the sinner to turn back and repent. So the apparent delay is an expression of God's love for the sinner. Uh, And verse 3 actually, verse 13, I'm sorry. He also prepares for himself an instrument of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shaft. This image actually uh, is of a warrior judge. A warrior judge. The instruments of punishment are already prepared. And God can use them when he wishes. His arrows into fiery shafts means the word fiery signifies hot or burning. God has provided arrows of wrath and vengeance, fiery ones, will burn. Against the unrepentant, he will bring them forth, God will bring the unrepentant forth, direct these arrows and shoot the arrows at them. The wrath of God may be slow, but it is always sure. By God's sword, what is God's sword when he said uh, he sharpens his sword in verse 12? We know the sword of God is the word of God. So by God's sword, it is his word. And the word of God destroys sin in me. So a sinner can repent and become righteous by God's grace. Also, St. Augustine said the bow is also... Uh, the word of God, when he said he bends his bow and makes it ready. St. Augustine said, this bow apparent in the strength of the New Testament is similar to to strings. This bow was shot shot forth and the disciples like arrows. So this bow were uh, shot on the disciples. And, And and moved their heart to be preachers of the word, and has sent forth the preachers of the divine words. These arrows have been directed toward those who are aflame, aflame with the love of God. In other words, St. Augustine is continuing and saying, in other words, toward those who would be fired with the love of God when pierced by them. So the love of God inflame my heart. It is as if the psalmist says, if you are pierced by these arrows and set on fire by these coals, you will burn by so great a love of the kingdom of heaven as to despise the tongues of all who resist you. You you wouldn't care about those who resist you and would turn your back from your purpose, your ungodly purpose. Uh, verse 14 speaking about the wicked behold the wicked bring forth iniquity yes he conceives the trouble and brings forth falsehood 
He met a pit, dug it out, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come upon uh, shall come down on his own crown. So this statement shows that a wicked heart will show itself in wicked deeds. A person who is united with Christ receives the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, as we read in Galatians chapter 5:22, and give birth to truth. But a person who is united with Satan conceives lies, deception, violence, and anxiety. James, in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, he said, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth this. So the source of sin is from within the sinner. Satan just give me an idea. Either I accept it or reject it. The sinner conceives and gives birth to sin as a mother gives birth to children from within. So David pictures the wicked as a pregnant and a delivering a child. He made a pit and dug it out. The illusion here is the method how they were hunting wild beasts in the past. The hunters used to dig a pit full and cover it with leaves and grass to deceive the animals and make the animals fall into it. So the meaning here, he has brought that evil upon himself. He dug a pit for another, but he fell in it. So he brought evil upon himself which he intended against others. By the way, in the ninth hour of Good Friday, there is uh, a homily. The homily starts with this verse. Uh, he made a pit and dug it out, speaking about Judas, uh, who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. When they read the homily in Arabic, they don't understand what it means. Kara gubban, kara an hafar. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. Uh, the punishment of the wicked described from another point of view here as a natural result of his own actions. He is the one who dug the pit. He falls into the trap which he laid for others. This shows a common myth, method of God's justice. God often brings the same adversity on the wicked that they had planned for the righteous. Jacob deceived his dad Isaac, his father Isaac. That's why Jacob was deceived by his children when they told him Joseph died. So it's the same method we used to deceive others or plan for others, it comes upon me. That's why he said his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. Two examples among many examples in the Bible, the fate of Haman, the enemy of Mordechai in the book of Esther and the Jews. He made a cross 
to crucify Mordechai, and on this cross, Haman was crucified. Uh, the enemies of Daniel, he asked, they asked the king to throw Daniel in the lion's den, and then they were thrown into the lion's den. Also, the Lord has caught the dogs to lick the blood of Ahab in the midst of the vineyard of Naboot, in the same place where they killed Naboot. So sooner or later, the evil deeds of persecutors shall come down on his own ground. Last verse, which actually a shout of uh, praise and uh, thanksgiving to the Lord. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. So David exalted the mercy and loving kindness of God. This is the first place in the book of Psalms where we find God called the Most High to the name of the Lord Most High. It's used for the first time in Genesis 14:18. However, it occurs several times in the five books of Moses and often in later books. It's found more than 20 times the word Most High in the book of Psalms. The last verse in this Psalm, verse 17, the Psalm concludes with a song of joy and victory as well as praise. After he prayed, he had peace in his heart. Sadness in the beginning of the psalm now is transferred into joy. Resistance of evil is transferred into experience of God's work within us, which prompts us to praise him. To thank and praise God for mercies is the way to increase them. When we thank God for his mercy, then the mercies of God will be multiplied. And also to thank and praise God for suffering is the way to remove them. When we thank God for the suffering, God will remove the suffering. We can praise the Lord for his righteousness today as we meditate on the fact that God will vindicate the innocent. God will vindicate the innocent. As David says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. I shall celebrate both his justice and his mercy. His justice and because the justice of God is full of mercy and the mercies of the Lord is full of justice. You cannot separate his justice from his mercy. David entered the psalm which began in gloom on a high note of praise. He could praise because he took his trouble to God and in faith he left it there in the hands of God. That's why he concluded with a shout of cry of praise. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praises to the name of the Lord Most High. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.